it changes you so like not just like being pregnant and like birth and like being a mom but like you aren't the same person you were nine months ago you know so like you're getting to know a whole new you and you're getting to know a whole new baby this whole new life that you created and like it is so magical but it's also it is it rocks you hi i'm danielle Welcome to the Birth Journeys podcast. It is my belief that our birth journey has a lasting impact that goes far beyond delivery. It is my hope that through these stories, you would find the insight, tools, and the courage to go on and have your own positive and empowering birth journey. Just as a reminder, any information you hear on this podcast is meant to inform and encourage you on your birth journey and not intended to replace advice from your medical professional. to the birth journeys podcast today we have victoria on and she's going to be sharing her stories with us hi victoria thanks for coming on i'm excited to hear your stories thanks i'm really excited to share them yeah so give us a couple little tidbits about yourself sure so i am a mom of two boys Uh, my oldest has cerebral palsy and my youngest is typically developing i'm 30 years old i'm a nurse and i live in new hampshire Awesome. Yeah. So where do you like to say that your birth journey begins? Um, I guess with my oldest, I, before I got pregnant with him, we had been trying for about a year, but before that I hadn't really thought I was going to be a mom as an adult. Like when I was a little kid, I always thought I was going to have like a sea of children. And then When I grew up, I just didn't really see that for me. And my ex-husband at the time really wanted to have kids. And after a lot of like hemming and hawing over it, I was like, all right, you know what? Like, it can't be that bad. So I guess I'll try it. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Um, So after, yeah, after, um, after trying, like we really thought, it was going to take forever. Like I had been on birth control and we had seen an OBGYN cause I had a cyst that was pretty painful. And he had said that, Oh, you know, like if it takes longer than a year, then you'll start to worry. But after you've been on birth control for a while, like it can take some time. So like leading up to when I found out I was pregnant with Micah, it really like was kind of discouraging, like seeing all of my friends get pregnant and like without even trying and like seeing people like accidentally get pregnant. And like, here I was like every month peeing on a stick and seeing it be negative. Mm -hmm. And then like having that, we went to a friend's wedding and like, I had just not been really feeling well, but kind of just chalked it up to working night shift as a nurse's aide. And then um, the next morning I took a pregnancy test and it was positive. So we were so, Mm -hmm. so excited. Yeah, that's always hard when you, I mean, I haven't dealt with like a long issue of infertility or anything, but like we tried, I think for seven months with my second daughter and it felt like an eternity. So I can't imagine like, you know, even longer than that. I always feel, feel for moms that go through that. I do too, especially when that's like the one thing you always wanted to be a mom yeah. and it just isn't happening when you, with your timeline, but there's yeah, always exactly. a plan that we're not aware of, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, totally. So after that appointment with that OBGYN, I had decided that I really just wanted to be with a midwife. I wanted to do more of like low intervention and like our goal was to do a home birth and everything was kind of setting up that way. I did like, I found out I had gestational diabetes, which I (laughs) remember bawling about it for days because Mm -hmm. I had worked with so many, like when you have gestational diabetes, you are, have an increased risk of getting type two diabetes within 10 years. If you don't, you know, make lifestyle choices, like changes and start really paying attention to your lifestyle choices. So I really was just like devastated by that. And like, also, you know, when you're pregnant, all you want to do is like eat croissants (laughs) (laughs) and lay around. You don't want to be thinking about how many carbs you're eating and how you have to go for a walk before you go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) So that I thought was like the hardest part of my pregnancy. And then as, you know, I got further along, I was just getting like so huge. I was measuring like two weeks ahead and we had had our anatomy scan and everything had looked fine and you know just as things gone i remember like just feeling the way that he was moving in my belly i would always say it felt like a bunny thumping like it was just like this repetitive movement and i remember one time saying to my midwife like it just feels like he's having a seizure and she was like there's no way you would know that like babies just move weird in your belly right Mm. and like having it be my first pregnancy i was like yeah you know that's probably what it is i'm probably just anxious And I ended up having polyhydramnios, which I had so much extra fluid. It literally looked like I had twin, like I was pregnant with twins. I like humongous beach ball. And like, we just kind of thought like, I just wasn't reacting well to pregnancy, which I don't react well to pregnancy. I've learned after my second Mm -hmm. son. (laughs) And um, it was when I went into labor with Micah, I had worked an overnight shift. It was the day before my birthday and we went to my sister-in-law's house or not my sister-in-law's, my foster sister's house for a birthday dinner. And like we did some maternity pictures and I just remember like feeling kind of crampy and like just kind of weird, like really anxious and like just off. And I kind of just chalked it up to like late term pregnancy. So I was um, 37 weeks on the nose and then we were driving home it was late and i remember having to pull over because i was just so anxious i was like so scared to be a mom and just so afraid that i wasn't going to be a good mom and like i think everybody kind of feels that way right before you have a baby like you're just so nervous like you're bringing this other person into the world Mm -hmm. and like you just you want to do right by them and love them as much as you can right so Uh, Like, I just that little bit of weird cramping and, you know, just chalked it up, end of pregnancy stuff. And we went to bed kind of late. And, like, I had been planning for a home birth. The plan was for a home birth. We had just talked about – I had just had an appointment on that Friday about how she – my midwife was going to drop off the home birth kit. And we were kind of, like, going to get settled and, like, be ready for this baby to come at home. And at 5.30 in the morning – every single fire alarm in my house went off at once. Super, super weird. Like woke us both up out of bed. We like scoured the whole house. There's no smoke, there's no nothing. And they just stop. So we're like, we live in an old house. We just figure it's like the wiring, right? Then exactly, you know, we get back into bed exactly an hour later, my water broke. 
when we were in bed so my I like jump out of bed and like feel this huge gush and I was like yep that's definitely my water breaking I like had my ex-husband call our midwife and she was like I'm at another birth so like hopefully because it's your first time like things aren't going to move along super fast I'm going to see if another midwife in the area is free so she can at least come in and check on you because she was about an hour and a half away from us because I was 37 weeks we didn't think I was going to go into labor so soon but then as things were like kept progressing my contractions started getting closer and closer and my blood pressure skyrocketed and I had merconium staining in my amniotic fluid and it was just bright bright green so before she even got there um she had made the decision like she made the decision that I, I needed to go to the hospital because obviously like he was in distress I was in distress like things were just not going well and we just needed a little bit more medical support in the event that something bad had happened or mm. could happen. So um, we were like thinking about transitioning to the local hospital, but because of my um, high risk pregnancy, they were like, nope, she can't come here. And I worked at another hospital that was about 45 minutes away and I really did not want to go there. But my midwife was like, you know, they're so good with home birth transitions that I think that this would be, you know, a really good idea for you to go there. So I like we grab a bag that I had packed just in case something like this had happened. And um, we get in the car and my contractions were like a minute apart. And I remember being so uncomfortable. We were in my ex-husband's Jetta and I'm just like trying to get like in a mm -hmm. position that isn't unbearable, you know, and like yeah. I had wanted to do like uh, no pain meds. I didn't want an epidural. Like people have been having babies and holes in the ground longer than I've been an idea in the universe. So mm -hmm. I think from the beginning, I knew that I was gonna be able to do this. And um, we get to the hospital, we get checked in. Um, everything is like going okay. And my labor stalls, of course, cause like I'm not at home and we're really anxious and you know worried about the baby and I end up having to get Pitocin, which, you know, it's not friendly, but it does the trick. Mm -hmm. um, I was able to label labor in the water, but like still, cause they have tubs at that hospital, which was nice, but things just still like hadn't progressed. They're just still so slow, so slow. And I just remember getting like so tired and just like not, I just couldn't do it anymore. I'm, I'm exhausted. We had been, so this was, labor started at like 6 30 i started having consistent contractions at about 7 7 30 and i think it was around like six o'clock in the evening after like just going through all of this that um i really just was starting to get so fatigued and uh, micah was really starting to show it as well um so we and I, it's like such a blur because I was so tired. Like, I don't know if any, like, obviously all moms who've had babies know, like, that wave of exhaustion and just being like, I don't think I can do this. <laughs> like, mm. I have, you know, like, really just turning inward and, like, the whole world around me, I don't remember anything. Like, just feeling so, like, turned in and, like, just trying to motivate myself like I want to see my baby I have to get this baby out and like just being so so tired and like eventually um 
he starts crowning and like I'm pushing and we're like trying all these different positions and (laughs) I'm like I just I can't do this and I remember my midwife being like that's your baby's head like do you want to feel your baby's head and I was be like no I do not (laughs) want to feel my baby's head but she grabbed my hand and and had me feel him and like I knew exactly where to push and um he came out two pushes later so I think I had been pushing maybe for like half an hour if that um but no it really wasn't that bad and like I remember Micah coming out and he had the cord wrapped around his neck I think two or three times and he had a really like thin and long cord but he had hydrocephaly so the average head circumference for a baby is 34 centimeters and Micah's was 42 which is huge and he yeah and like this was all stuff that we we had no idea like nothing nothing came up on our anatomy scan and everything really had been like mostly normal because we had been you know so low intervention it probably wouldn't have been caught unless I got more um ultrasounds Mm -hmm. but he was born and um his first APGAR score was a two Uh, He was totally gray. His head was huge because he was face presenting and sunny side up. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yeah, with a gigantic (laughs) head. So that's why it was such hard work for both of us. Yeah, totally. And then he started seizing 15 minutes after he was born, which, like, they immediately whisked him away, like, to, you know, kind of work on him and get him stable so that he could be transported out. And, like, the only glimpse of my baby that I had seen was him flying into the world and quickly being whisked mm. away. And it it was just so crazy. I'm so thankful, like, my ex-husband was there and my midwife um, came and was my doula. So she never left my side, even when we transitioned to the hospital, which was, you know, so I'm so lucky because you hear horror stories of midwives, like just dumping moms at the ER and not staying with them. And that, that was not my experience. My midwife Mm -hmm. is amazing. And like, I consider her a friend now after having two births with her. Mm -hmm. But after um, Micah was born, they... I, you know, was just in such a rush, like, what, what is wrong with my son? Like, what is going on? Like, somebody please tell me something. Like, I couldn't get out of bed yet because I hadn't even delivered my placenta. <laughs> and there had just been, like, 20 people in the room, and then it was just me and the midwife who had delivered my son and my ex-husband and my mom and sister-in-law. And I was like, somebody, like, please just go and tell me what's going on so it felt like forever Hmm. and then finally the pediatrician comes in and she's like there are some complications and we are trying to get him to a bigger hospital that is more equipped to care for him um but we really don't we really don't know like obviously his head is huge um he started having seizures um he has a limb discrepancy so one of his legs is a little bit longer than the other one and he had um syndactyly so his fingers were fused as well um Mm. so it it was really like terrifying um yeah i bet yeah we just kind of thought everything was normal and then suddenly we were like thrust into this world that we didn't even know existed Mm. um so then 
I was finally able, like I had been like fighting with the nurse, like, let me get up. I need to go. I need to go see my son. Like, I don't care if I have to drag my body there, like I'm going. And as soon as I was able to like stand, um, she was like, you have to go pee. I was like, I do not have to go pee. I don't have to do anything. Like I'm seeing my son. And she was like, no, like you have to. So I remember just sitting there and being like, all right, come on body, go. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Let's do this. And like finally was able to like get in a wheelchair and they pushed me to his little isolate and just like seeing him there, he was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it was like, so sorry, <laughs> I always no, tear okay. up because it was, it was so scary. Yeah, and like, you could hear the pediatrician like calling the local hot, like there's a big hospital in our state and then there's a bunch of bigger hospitals to stay or a state over. And she was on the phone with like three different hospitals with NICUs begging one of them to take him. Wow. And it it's the end of April. And <laughs> of course, like in, in New England, everybody knows like the weather is so unpredictable. It started to snow. <laughs> So they had been planning to life flight him somewhere else and ended up having to go by ambulance. And finally, after like she had been talking to all of these hospitals, one of them had said, like, try calling um, Boston General. If they aren't able to make a bed, we will move a baby out of the NICU to accept him. And so that's what they ended up doing. And he went to Boston Children's Hospital. I think it was like two o'clock in the morning when he left and the team that came to get him came from Boston Children's Hospital and he has been life lighted a few times and it has been the same nurse every single time so she's yeah she's gotten to see him like grow up and if that is everybody who we've come in contact through you know, Micah's life has just had such an enormous impact on us and has always been so supportive and so loving. Um, But yeah, Yeah. so she, she took the time to like talk to me and like having seen stuff like this all the time, because that's what she does for a living. She's like, I promise, like, I will call you as soon as I get to Boston. I will call you as soon as I get him settled. I will make the nurse call you as soon as she's done doing her assessment. And I was like, do, like, do do we need to leave like right now? Like, should my husband go? Like, um, should should I send my mom? Like, she was like, no. Like, they're gonna they're gonna want to do a lot of tests, and it's gonna be a lot of waiting. She's like, you should stay here, <laughs> and make mm-hmm. sure that you're safe to come, and then and then come. So um, I actually had a lot of friends who worked in labor and delivery. So they were all so like torn up about it that I ended up having a traveler be my nurse (laughs) because they were just like, didn't think that they would be able to like take care of me and mom baby when I got moved out of labor and delivery. And um, it was like just so terrible because I also have celiac. So of course the kitchen is closed. I haven't eaten in hours. They don't have anything gluten-free on the floor. So my ex-husband like was like, I'm just going to go to one of the 24-hour grocery stores. So what I hear people talk about like 
the thing that you eat after you have your baby is like the most delicious thing in the universe. Mm -hmm. I have a gluten-free frozen lean cuisine and I I can't even remember what flavor it was, but it was like the most nourishing thing I have ever eaten in my life. Oh, it's so true. (laughs) You like always remember it. And like after my second, I'll tell you exactly what I ate. It was delicious. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But like after after all that, like the next morning, um, we have this labor and delivery nurse who has been a nurse for oh I think she's been a nurse for like 50 years or something and she comes in and she's like so which one of you is the planner (laughs) Mm -hmm. and and she had said like you know there is a plan that none of us are aware of and um life always has a way of of working out and it's never to the way that we planet it's never exactly how we think it's gonna go and like Mm. you have some big lessons to learn girl and it it was so true and like we I was I had told the OBGYN when they came in to see me I was like I am leaving I'm leaving AMA or you're gonna discharge me I'm not staying I want to be with my son like I'm leaving at 11 o'clock with or without paperwork so they like rushed to get me discharged and the labor and delivery nurse like really spent a long time like talking to me about um, postpartum depression because obviously I was really high risk and I I really valued that conversation because it, it really it made me aware of a lot of things that I needed to watch out for for myself like going through this now looking back but at the time I was like all right look lady like I have to get to Boston I've never Mm -hmm. been to Boston Children's Hospital I I don't know where we're going and we have to go now so we we leave the hospital and um they let me borrow a hospital grade pump for when I got home so I could at least like uh, supply some colostrum for him because I had always wanted to breastfeed and we get home and like take a shower and I just like grab a bunch of random stuff because I don't know what I'm going to need. I don't know what he's going to need. I don't know how long we're going to be there for. And I, I just wanted to see my baby. So uh, we left, I think it was like three o'clock. And if you know anything about like traffic in the city, it's horrible. So we didn't end up getting there until like six o'clock in the evening because of traffic. Mm. And we like got lost and couldn't find the parking garage. And we're Mm -hmm. just like both like so high, like emotion that we're like screaming at each other. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We like, he calls his mom because his mom has been there a few times for his sister for surgeries. And she like talks us through how to get there. We like finally get there and we get to like the security station that's at the front of the hospital and I'm just in tears. I'm like, I just, I haven't seen my son since he was born. It's been almost 24 hours. Like I just, I just want to see my baby. And like they give us these like paper passes and we get upstairs and they have to like go through all these like, this is how you get in the NICU. This is where you sign in, like all this stuff. And like, I just remember being like, okay, like, can I just see my son? Can I just see my son? Like they wouldn't let me hold him at the hospital where I had him. I just want to see my baby. I just want to see that he's okay. And we finally get to the little isolate station, like the bay that he's in. And I like get to see him and like burst into tears. And like the nurse who was taking care of him, like came over and she was just so gentle and so kind. And I like 
sat by his isolate and like I have a I took a picture of him because like I didn't know how long I was going to get with him and I just didn't want to forget any of these little moments and Mm -hmm. like it's a live picture so like you know on iPhones if you like press and hold you can like hear all Mm -hmm. of like the sounds and like you can just hear his little cooing and he Mm -hmm. oh he just looks so precious (laughs) and and I'm like sitting there like bawling and she's like oh like do you want to hold him and I was like you like I get to hold him (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and like finally getting to like hold him and be there with him and like it I, I'm just so thankful for all those moments mm. and it was like the next day they had like this big um, like a meeting with us to like kind of talk about like everything they'd found with testing and how they wanted to do genetic testing to see like if if it was something genetic if there was anything else we needed to look out for and um they had told us that he has a a couple of congenital brain abnormalities um, and that like he, he may never walk. He may never talk. He may never eat on his own. And I just remember like every barrier that they put up, I was like, okay, so like we get a wheelchair, like, okay, we get augmented communication. Like, okay, he gets a feeding tube. Like I just want him to have the best life and like that's not being in the hospital and that has always been the most important thing to us is like his quality of life and like just even if he's a vegetable he'll be the most loved carrot in the universe Mm. so um he ended up having to get brain surgery when he was uh, I think two and a half weeks old and if we had not this like it was divine intervention if he had gone to any other hospital he would have wound up with a shunt and you know every three years the equipment has to be replaced they're high risk of infection they get clogged all the time but there was a neurosurgeon at loss of children's who had um had a hand in inventing a surgery that uses all of the anatomy that's already there where they like fix the bridge that connects the two hemispheres that my son didn't have. They cauterize all the extra choroid plexus that makes all your cerebral spinal fluid, which he had a lot of extra, and that's why he had such bad hydrocephaly. And then they just like pop a hole in the membrane, and it has a 99% um, success rate. And he also was a pastor, and his son's name was Micah. And it really was just like, it it was all in God's plan for us to be there and for him to be on and for Micah to get that surgery because it it was successful. He was after having like years and years of MRIs every six months when he turned three, they were like, yeah, you only need to come in if he needs to, like if something goes wrong, like he's fine. And like we were discharged from that service and like, it's really just, like I said earlier, it, every hand that has come in to Micah's life has just been like perfectly meant to be there. Hmm. Wow. That's a blessing. Yeah. (laughs) Gosh. I know. Yeah. So with, I have a a question kind of backtracking kind of a lot here, but yeah. um, So you had planned the home birth with the midwife, Mm -hmm. um, but you had mentioned that when your water broke and all the things that you, um, when you had decided to transfer, um, you said that you were like more high risk. So was your midwife willing to attend you at home 
with, you know, even though you were considered high risk? Yeah. So I was diet controlled with my gestational diabetes and I, I never needed insulin. Like I was really, really diligent about like my nutrition and activity. And even though I was like high risk, um, in a hospital, they would have been more likely to, um, push a C-section they would not have let me go low intervention and like she really just wanted me to be able to do as much on my own the way my body was designed as I possibly could yeah wow yeah and that's like that's such a blessing because then you were I mean even though you were you know really exhausted and everything you were Mm -hmm. able to have a natural birth then Mm -hmm. and then with everything that happened with your baby like that's a blessing that you weren't recovering from like a C-section or something on top of all of that, because it just can be a harder recovery, you know? Yeah, no, it really can. I've had friends who've had to get C-sections and like some of them are like ready to go the next day, but others are laid up for a long time. And Mm -hmm. like, I really, like I said, it has always been divine intervention. Like everything has worked out. And I, I'm like, you know, C-sections can be a necessary thing. And if we had known that Micah had such a gigantic head (laughs) and all of the other things that were going on were going on, we probably would have opted for a C-section. Yeah. It could have been safer. Yeah. Yeah. Because like really, like we both, it really could have been so bad for both of us. And, you know, thankfully it wasn't. Yeah. And I know obviously your son having that big head wasn't like a good thing, you know, cause it, you know, he had the um, medical issues and everything. Yeah. But like that also just goes to show that like women can birth babies with big heads. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and that's what I you say know? to everybody. Like there are people who have 10 pound babies. Like my babies, my youngest was six pounds. Micah was four pounds and 11 ounces when we left the NICU. Wow. He was so tiny. His, he was all head. Like if <laughs> I can send you pictures. He was all head. Wow. <laughs> He's yeah, like bringing him wild. home and like holding him. It was like all of his weight was in his head and his oh. tiny little body just like hung. It was so cute. Oh. <laughs> Uh, so were you able to breastfeed him then or were you not able to do that? Yeah. So, um, Boston Children's is actually super breastfeeding friendly. They, um, yeah. Oh my gosh. They, they were so supportive. We only had one nurse and I, I pumped for him exclusively until he was 14 months old. And at 14 months, I was like, bro, I just can't do this anymore. Like, I love you so much, but like, dude, time is done. Like, this is awful. (laughs) I feel like a milk cow. But yeah, I I only had one nurse when I was in the NICU who had said, she made a comment. She was like, you should just give up now because you're never going to be able to do this at home. And I I say all the time that I pumped exclusively for Mike out of spite. (laughs) I was able, like, Mm. I pumped for him. I had such an oversupply because I was so good at pumping that I was able to donate and, like, feed a couple of other babies. Um, Yeah, it... It was definitely a blessing, and but it was so hard. And like I, I really had such a great support system. Like even my my ex husband was so supportive of like our journey, and like always made sure that like I had everything I needed for my pump, and that I was able. Like we got pulled over one time on the way to a doctor's appointment, and I was pumping while I was driving, <laughs> and the cop like came up to like 
you know, ask for my license and registration. But he like took like two steps back when he saw that I was pumping. <laughs> he was like, just slow down. Okay. I was like, yeah, sure. And, like, that, he's oh, like, you're good to funny. go. <laughs> so like, uh, we, we are always like, so set up that yeah. every time I hear of other people like talking about their struggles with pumping like I always try to be a resource because it is so hard and it mm-hmm. seems like so unnatural like if that's the only way that you're providing for your baby but you're still providing for your baby like it's yeah. just as good as breastfeeding and like you're still like passing on all those antibodies and giving all those mm-hmm. healthy fats and proteins and it was just really on my heart to do that for him because Mm -hmm. he he wasn't set up you know so successful in the beginning yeah I know and I mean people say that you know breastfeeding breastfeeding is a sacrifice which I think it is but like when I hear moms that pump I'm like man you guys are the real MVPs because like you know it's so easy to just like pop your baby on your boob you know and like nurse them even if it is the middle of the night or here or there whatever but I'm like to pump like that, like that really does take dedication. And like, you know, you're constantly having to stay on your schedule and always cleaning the pump parts. And like, mm-hmm. I mean, I've never had to do it, so I don't really know what all oh, it man. entails, but Those like pump parts though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Madela and I have some beef because they really yeah, couldn't right. set that up so differently. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. But so yeah. I think that's, that's amazing that you did that for sure. But yeah. I mean, I felt like yeah. it was the least I could do, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Wow. So you had mentioned that the nurse um, kind of spoke to you about like postpartum depression because of all that you experienced, you know, with your baby. Um, did you end up dealing with any of that or how was your recovery mentally in that first yeah, year? It, it was really touch and go for a while. I think I, I finally got into therapy uh, about a year ago for myself after dealing with all of that. And then, you know, everything that came afterwards and it put, it, it was a really huge toll on me. And then of course, like after Michael was a year old, I decided to go back to school and get my RN. Um, So I didn't, I never gave myself time to (laughs) really sit with those feelings. So now, you know, five years later, I, I look back and I had so much anxiety and so I like, I didn't have like postpartum depression. I had postpartum rage. Like I remember Mm -hmm. just being so fired up about everything and not really having a great outlet because like some of it, it like the anxiety that I had was rightfully so because we, we didn't know what the future held for us and what it held for Micah. And like every, every day felt like it wasn't guaranteed, like tomorrow wasn't guaranteed. So like just learning how to talk to doctors and learning how to take care of my son and like what he needed and what the supports were. Cause like, I, I didn't know anybody who had a kid that was as disabled as mine. Like I knew Mm -hmm. some people who had, you know, my friend's son has cystic fibrosis or like another friend's child has like autism, but like, I didn't know anybody whose kid had cerebral palsy and was so affected and like what that entailed and what kind of life that was going to be for us. And yeah, yeah, the unknowns really could just eat you up if you spent Mm -hmm. too much time thinking about it, you know, Mm -hmm. especially at the time. 
Yeah, and I'm sure, like, obviously you love your baby no matter what, you know, whether they are healthy or have, you know, right. health issues. But, like, I'm sure you also probably dealt with, like, anger and grief that, like, you know, you this kind of was like, wait a minute, like, I didn't plan for this. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. obviously, like, you're adjusting and you, you know, it, you settle into the life that you're given. But, like, I'm sure that's all part of, like, the normal adjustment of having a baby with, like, such complex issues because... Oh, I think it's it's the adjustment of having a baby, period. Like, yeah. never mind having, like, medical issues. Yes. But, like, when you're yep. a first-time mom, like, you have no idea what it's like or what you're getting into. And, like, you can hear everybody else's story, but until you're, like, really in the thick of it, like, you, mm -hmm. you don't know. And everybody is, like, so different, you know? And, like, yeah, handles totally. these and it, it changes you so like not just like being pregnant and like birth and like being a mom but like you aren't the same person you were mm -mm. nine months ago you know no. so like you're getting to know a whole new you and you're getting to know a whole new baby this whole new life that you created and like it is so magical but it's also it is it rocks you you know mm -hmm. it is so hard and if you don't like have a good support system, it can be even more challenging. Yeah. Never mind like having a kiddo with medical complexities. Like now you're you're trying like fighting for your life every day, you know. Mm hmm. Yeah, I can't imagine. <coughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, do you have anything else from that first experience or what you went through with your son that you want to share, or do you want to move on to your second? Um, I think the only other thing that kind of comes to mind is there was this poem that they had in the family room at the NICU. And it it's, I can't remember what it's called, but it's basically like Welcome to Holland. And it's about like you imagine that you're planning this trip to Italy to go and see like the roses and the beaches and you like buy your tickets and you get your hotel and you, you pack all this summer stuff and you get on the plane and then when you land they say welcome to Holland and at first you're like what the heck like I had planned this trip to Italy and now I'm in Holland are you kidding me like this isn't even close to where I wanted to be like this isn't what I had planned on like this like you have like all of this turmoil that your trip has been ruined but then when you get there and you you get off the plane and you take a second to breathe, you realize that like the tulips in Holland are so beautiful mm. and like the people are so friendly and like everything there, it's just as sunny and it's just as bright and it's just as wonderful as Italy, but it's different. But even the tulips in Holland are beautiful. And like, wow. that's what being a parent of a child with disabilities is like, it's the best secret club that I never wanted to be a part of. Mm. Wow, that's beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I share that with everyone when I find out like somebody's going through a similar situation or, or has like a, a you know, a, their child is born and they weren't expecting some kind of complication like that is, you know, welcome to Holland. The tulips are beautiful here too. Yeah, that's beautiful. I can see why they have that hanging in yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Mm, cute. <laughs> but yeah, so after <clears throat> I had Micah and we are like in this whirlwind, um, like my uh, ex-husband at the time and I had had a lot of challenges before my son was born. And 
after he was born, like we both dealt with grief completely differently. I like completely submerged, like submerged myself in this lifestyle and like figuring out what it meant to be a caregiver and like what our future was going to be and different therapies for him and how we can support him and just surrounding ourselves in like this network that was really you know, gonna hold us up when we needed it. And he really just um, became more withdrawn and, you know, had a really hard time being around. And we just drifted apart. And we were separated for about a month, right when I started nursing school. And, you know, we were like trying to figure out like what it was going to be like, you know, having Micah and I'm in school. And I... (laughs) Like we got in this, he wanted to come with me to a doctor's appointment for Micah and we fought the whole way to Boston. We fought the whole time during the appointment. We fought the whole way back. And he was like, you know what? Like, I just have this feeling that you're pregnant. Like you need to take a pregnancy test. And I was like, I'm not pregnant. You're being stupid. And I like took three pregnancy tests as like a, well, like that'll prove it to you. And every single one of them turned positive. Like you flipped a switch. (laughs) (laughs) I had like I totally remember freaking out like what do you mean like this was not in the plan like I you know again looking back I should have known that like nothing ever works out the way that I think it's going to mm-hmm. <laughs> so we <laughs> we're like all right well I guess here we are like we're having another baby we're in like all this turmoil I am I'm not dropping out of school I'm gonna finish like I'm also gonna bring Micah to his appointments every week in Boston and his therapy appointments three times a week in uh, you know another city that's about an hour away from us and we were able to get a home care nurse to help when I was working on weekends and in school and my ex-husband had moved in and he was really trying harder to be a caregiver and not everybody is made to be a caregiver and I really like respect that now more than I did at the time because I remember just being like why can't you just do this it's not hard Mm. like you love him like figure it out Hmm. But yeah, so my pregnancy again, I decided to use the same midwife and I was like, this time I'm going to get my home birth. Like, this is how it's going to go. It's going to be great. Like, you know, everything is going to go perfectly. And I started having like this horrible anxiety that it it was going to be the same as it was with Micah. And I really had to deal with all of that like trauma of, of immediately after Micah being born. Um, and like having to really spend a lot of time, like I read tons of books on mindful births and I reread like books about the Bradley method. And, um, there's this other book. I wish I could remember the author's name. I think it's Pamela something, but it's about like the circle of births. And she like talks about, um, like some of the Ina May Gaskin methods for being, um, low to no medical interventions and having um, a pain medication free birth and like how to use breathing and movement to help you get through your contractions and I remember like sitting in the car like listening to these podcasts and these audiobooks and like the thing that pushed me through with Micah to get through each one of those horrible back labor contractions was and like Pitocin contractions where if you've been induced you know how horrible it is that like, I can do anything for a minute. I can do anything Mm. for a minute. I can breathe through this. I can let it wash over me. I can like release it and I can 
rest in between. Like I can do this. So like from, I think about like 16 weeks of, you know, being pregnant with Elias, I was like, I, I, I'm going to just start like the marathon training now so I can, I can have the birth that I want to have with this baby. Mm. And my midwife was like really aware of how this could affect my birth and it could affect my pregnancy. So she, um, just was so supportive and we like really spent I think she spent so much extra time with me than she would have with a typical pregnancy um just like helping me like talk through things and she always was checking in on Micah and just was so so phenomenal um and she had me go to maternal fetal and medicine at another hospital just to like kind of like get their opinion and have them weigh in on stuff just in case you know because um, when Micah's genetic testing came back, he has a what's called a de novo gene mutation. So it's not something that I or my ex-husband carry. It's just like this fluke thing that happened. And like the chances of us having another baby like him are the same as anybody else's. It's like 3% chance of any pregnancy ending up, you know, with a child who has a de novo gene mutation so like we were feeling pretty confident that he you know Elias was going to be fine but just in case so we had like uh this really like two hour long ultrasound followed by like a 45 minute long meeting with their genetics counselor just to, like talk about our risks and the maternal fetal medicine doctor was like it's probably going to be fine but you should come in for monthly ultrasounds and then COVID happened <laughs> so mm they weren't seeing anybody who wasn't directly in that practice. So I didn't get any extra scans, but you know, I felt fine about it. Cause I was like, after that um, ultrasound, we decided to have our anatomy scan at 22 weeks because neuron migration. So like the part that like develops your brain happens after 20 weeks. And I had gotten my anatomy scan with Micah at 19 weeks. So the uh, neonatologist that we were seeing said that like they never would have caught any of Micah's brain abnormalities because we had had our ultrasound done so early. Mm. And he had said like, if he had been typically developing, it wouldn't have been a problem. But because he wasn't, that's like, it, it was really like a one in a million chance that they had missed yeah. it. So with Elias, we decided to wait a little bit longer and like everything seemed fine. I had gestational diabetes again, but I, again, was able to stay diet controlled. And then I had um, some gestational hypertension, but it really wasn't that bad. Like I just had to make sure that I was staying active and I was using all my coping skills to not be so anxious and like wrapped up in my own head, which when you're in nursing school, that's really hard to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And also having Micah. So, you know, I'm plugging along. And then um, we had an appointment, I think I was like 33 or 34 weeks. And my midwife was like, I just don't know if a home birth is going to be a good option, you know, just because everything is kind of setting up the way that it is. And like, you're just really not tolerating pregnancy, like we should consider a birth center. So I, you know, was so defeated that like, you know, another home birth really wasn't working out, but like a birth center would be fine. It's, it's homey enough and we'll, you know, be able to have our baby and then we can leave whenever I'm like ready to go and he's ready to go and like, it'll be fine. And then um, 
we go and tour the birth center and I, I was like 35 weeks and like uh, my midwife had done my exam while I was there and she was like you just have so much extra fluid like we should really push for you to get another ultrasound just to just to double check so I call she calls Elliot and she's like what the heck like she was supposed to get ultrasounds like every four weeks and hasn't got any like I understand COVID's a thing but like come on so they call me like that day and they schedule an ultrasound and I have to go by myself. So I, you know, drive all the way to Manchester and I go to this office and I get my ultrasound and they're like scanning and like the tech makes this face. And I was like, oh God, like, here we go here. It's mm-hmm. happening again. And the high risk maternal fetal medicine doctor comes in and she goes, so he's breech. <laughs> and you definitely have polyhydramnios so you have all this extra fluid so that's why he's like not head down because it's basically a giant swimming pool in there he's just Mm -hmm. doing whatever he wants whenever he wants so um my midwife calls me and she's like I want you to do spinning babies I don't know if you've ever heard of that and like do the whole like crawling on the floor and laying upside down on an ironing board and like all the weird positions they have you like do for hours every day trying to get him to be head down and she's like if you know you have another ultrasound and he's still breached like we will have to do a version so I'm like okay like whatever I'm I'm sure I can handle it like we'll just uh do the spinning babies thing and like it everything is gonna be fine so I have my last final of nursing school at 36 weeks. And after I pass my last final and I'm like, oh, like just in time, I'm going to be able to like have my baby and have the summer off and then like figure it out from there. And like everything is kind of like setting up. I go for another ultrasound at 36 weeks and he's still breached. So we decide that um we really should consider transitioning to a hospital because if you know the version doesn't work and he's still breached like they really my midwife was not comfortable having a breech birth and you know neither was i and like i i respect people wanting to do that and like as long as it's safe and you know you understand the risks like go for it it's your body it's your baby but like for me i was like after having one high risk like birth I really just want to be somewhere where if something bad happens somebody's gonna be there yeah even if you know just in case and so we decide to transition to another hospital that my midwife actually was going to start working at she decided to stop doing home births and started to do hospital births and so I would be like her first birth at that hospital um Mm. so we schedule my version for 37 and four days and we uh, the appointment is for like 6 30 in the morning so my mom came to be with micah and like we had planned like if you know the version goes south like i'll be induced or have to get a c-section so like he might be coming then and i was like so ready to be done being pregnant like i've never made it past 30 seven and four and I think that whoever makes it past that is a saint because I (laughs) I was like so done like it it was just so uncomfortable and like you can't breathe you can't lay down you can't sit you can't walk like everything hurts like 
I was ready to be done. So we go in, I have the version. They were like, oh, do you want pain meds or laughing gas? And I was like, no, it'll be fine. Like I had Micah without meds. I'll be fine for a version. So they do it. And, oh, it was very uncomfortable. Yeah, it was not great. <clears throat> I mean, they warn you that it's uncomfortable, but like having three people pressing on your belly at the same time to get your very stubborn baby to be where he needs to be. Oh, and it's not yeah. guaranteed to work, right? Yeah, I know. So, I've seen videos of it being done, and it is yeah. wild. Oh, <laughs> I did not look. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah, it's wild. Yeah, it is. It's crazy, and like, I don't think I can even explain to somebody how to prepare for it. I'm like, it it just happens, and like, if they offer you something, maybe consider it. Like, you don't yeah. have to be that tough. <laughs> like, mm. But you know, it was fine. I just breathed through it, and um, he ended up like having a very accelerated heart rate and my blood pressure skyrocketed afterwards. So my, um, my midwife, the other midwife that I'd been seeing through that practice, I had seen her one, she was actually the midwife that delivered Micah. So she was at that hospital too. So it was really like special to have Teresa and Sarah at the same birth at a different hospital with a different baby, like, and with me like that, it was so healing for all of us to have Elias. Um, but she was like, I really think that we should induce you because like, this is like, you guys just really aren't doing well. And um, we were like, Wait, okay. Like, so then were they successful in turning him? Oh yeah. Yep. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. They, they turned him, but like, just because my blood pressure started creeping up and he like kind of freaked out afterwards, they were like, let's just induce you and like get this yeah. over with. And so they had to um, put this abdominal binder on me to keep him from trying to turn back. So mm -hmm. after having a version, it really just feels like somebody kicks you in the stomach a couple times. Like you're just so like, or you've been doing crunches for like an hour. Like your stomach is just so sore. And then having this abdominal binder on and then getting Pitocin, it was so excruciating. Like I don't think I could describe it. It's like period cramps on steroids. It was horrible horrible and it just felt like it lasted forever like there really was like no break so they started that I think it was like 10 o'clock in the morning we had started Pitocin and he he was in the right position and everything is moving at like a snail's pace because like I my body was not ready to have him yet but like here we were and I'm like walking in the halls and I'm doing lunges and like doing anything possible to like get him out on a yoga ball. Like they had me try like these different positions where you like lay on your side and you drop one leg over the side of the bed to like kind of get him to like move down more. And I have like the abdominal binder on even when I'm laying in the hospital bed. And like, because we had, you know, known that I wasn't going to be able to have a home birth or a, um, a birth center birth, I like wrote out all these little like index cards with like quotes and I had like watercolored them and like spent hours on like making all of these little birth cards for myself. And we mm. went out and like bought a bunch of battery operated candles so we could like set up the room and I had brought an uh, aromatherapy diffuser and like I brought blankets and pillows from home and like made sure I had like all of like the little things for comfort while we were there because like it 
having to transition from the plan, the birth plan that you thought was set in stone is devastating. And like, you feel like a failure, even though it, it had nothing to do with you. And like, you're taking it so personally, but it, it's mm-hmm. so defeating. And like having the awareness that that could happen beforehand and then having it happen, I just really wanted to like, try to support myself in that time as much as I could. Mm-hmm. And like, I still have all those little birth cards and like, it felt so dorky, like making them, but like now it's so special to me. Like that past me had thought about my future self enough to like be loving to myself in that moment. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it still feels so dorky. (laughs) No, I I think it's cool that you did that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And like, so we're you know we're there and like my ex-husband who is trying so hard to be supportive because again it's during COVID so it's just me and him like my mom couldn't come and I had my two midwives and they like will not leave my side like they're with me through everything and like it really was like as comforting as it could be but it was still like just it was so so uncomfortable it like so painful even with like trying all these different positions and like I had opted for minimal to no cervix checks because I had read research papers that had really just like turned me off of it like there are plenty of signposts that you can have to let you know how labor is progressing without somebody putting their hands in your business Mm -hmm. and like potentially like you know exposing you to some kind of like weird bug that's in the hospital so I was like nope nope like only if I request it or if it's absolutely necessary so it's like eight o'clock at night so we've been doing this for what feels like forever and I just like have like this like really intense need to like I'm like, I have to go to the bathroom. So like, can you just like make sure it's not that I actually have to push and that I can just like go and like have a bowel movement and like be in peace. So my midwife comes in and she's like, oh, you're only six centimeters still. And I'm like, this is it. Like I'm having the worst time. (laughs) Mm. And she's like, let's just like, we'll break your water and then you can get up and we'll like go try in the shower again or something I'm like okay so they break my water I like go to the bathroom and like I'm like bawling in there I'm like this is just horrible (laughs) this baby's never coming I (laughs) I just want to be home like I I don't want to do this anymore (laughs) and they like my midwife like comes in after and she's like I like maybe we should consider an epidural and I'm like I I just don't want to do that like I'm not there yet so then you know a couple hours go by and like I'm trying to like get some rest because we've just been doing this all day long and I'm just so tired again like that exhaustion just hits me again and I'm like I just want to (laughs) sleep and like they come in again and like they're like you know you're still at six centimeters because I'd asked them to check again. You're still at six centimeters. Like maybe we really should consider the epidural. And like, I just like burst into tears and this little like nurse, this labor and delivery nurse, you could tell that this was like, you know, her first job as a nurse. Like she'd only been a nurse for like three months. I found out later and she was like, Oh, like, 
what's what's so bad about an epidural and I just remember turning and looking at her and just with this absolute venom being like I don't want to be stuck in this bed with you (laughs) (laughs) I apologized to her sincerely the next day but I was like I just can't imagine just being stuck here and like I just if I I don't want to move but if I wanted to I want to be able to do that and like again no shame to anybody who gets an epidural it just was not in my plan for myself so they're like well obviously what you're doing isn't working so like why don't we try getting in the shower again you seem to progress more when you were like you know had water on your back and you're in this like different position and the shower head in that one room was broken so my poor Mm. ex-husband had to hold the shower head for me (laughs) the entire time I think I was in there for like two hours and I was just sobbing, sobbing so uncontrollably, like holding a yoga ball with like the water running down my back, just bawling my eyes out. Like I just didn't think I could do it. And I was just so tired. And like after what felt like forever, I remember turning to my ex-husband and just being like, just, just tell them I'll do it. Tell them, tell them I'll get the epidural. I can't do this anymore. Like, I just, I feel like I'm dying. Like, I just want to lay down. I just want to go to sleep. So he like shuts the water off and I have another horrible contraction. And he walks out there and he goes, I can hear him. Uh, she, uh, she says that she'll do it. And they're like, do what? And he's like, she, she said she'll get the epidural. (laughs) So (laughs) they both walk in there and they're like, um, okay, like, let's, let's just like get you back into the bed. Like, and I'm still sobbing uncontrollably, just like snots and like tears Mm -hmm. and like bawling through every contraction. And we're like halfway between the bathroom and the bed. And my midwife is like helping support me through a contraction and just like giving me this like huge, like very motherly hug while I'm just bawling through this contraction. And she's like, with this, with this next one, I want you to squat like really, really low. Like see, let's see, maybe let's just like give it one more shot. Like let's, let's just try it. Cause like your contractions, they just, they, it, you just sound a little different. Let's just try. So like the next contraction, I like grab the end of the bed and I squat so low and I just feel like that ring of fire. And like, there he is. Oh, wow. And I like, like make obviously a totally different noise. And my other midwife comes running over and they like come and check and they're like, all right, like next contraction, like that's your baby. And then like one of my other, you know, the other midwife is like yelling at my ex-husband, like press the call bell, press the call bell. (laughs) (laughs) He's like scrambling to like grab it and like here and like I'm standing up and uh, there's Elias and he just like comes out with the next contraction. So I'm like holding him in between my legs in this position, looking at this beautiful boy, still sobbing. (laughs) (laughs) And like there, you know, it's a very much um, a testament to his personality because he is stubborn until he is ready. And then he just comes and does what he's gonna do (laughs) and just it was yeah (laughs) so then you know there's Teresa on one side and Sarah on the other and we're all crying and like I just remember Sarah saying like that's your baby like that's your baby your beautiful baby boy 
<laughs> and then like again <laughs> I'm like holding him and I'm like okay like this is so great but I need to lay down because <laughs> like you're still standing there <laughs> yeah and I never thought that I was gonna have a baby standing up <laughs> I always was like, oh, I'll do like hands and knees or like in a squat or something like on the bed. Like I had tried all those positions with Micah. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's totally how it's going to go. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> Walking from the bathroom to the bed. Here we are. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It was so healing. Oh, so, so healing. Yeah. So how was your immediate postpartum then like? It must have been a much different experience. Oh, yeah. It first. was magical. Like, I got the golden hour. He breastfed for 45 minutes. It was, like, the, the room was just so, like, calm and quiet. And I just got to spend all the time I wanted with my baby. Like, wow. that. Like, it was just again so healing because like I didn't get that with Micah and like yeah. I I got to have all of the things I wanted after with Elias mm. yeah, yeah that's oh, I can't imagine the the contrast between the two yeah I'm so glad that you were able to have that you know that second yeah experience and it it was so different and like it just goes to show like every pregnancy every labor every baby is so different mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i love that you had that team you know like that mm -hmm. those people that you had really like built relationships with and you felt comfortable and safe with and um, yeah yeah that's they so are cool. amazing yeah. i recommend them to everyone i'm like they if i ever have more children which you know i really hope that's in the plan for me that I I get to be with them because that yeah just so great so they're so mm -hmm. talented <laughs> yeah yeah and it sounds like they're pretty supportive of you know what you wanted and the low intervention and all of mm -hmm. that I mean even though you were induced it does still sound like it was pretty low intervention oh yeah um, yeah and an like so yeah, for an induction, it was very low intervention. Like they didn't do any more than I, I wanted to do. And it was all backed in evidence. And we had talked about like every possibility before I even went into labor. So I felt so, so educated and so supported in any decision that I made. Yeah, I love that because especially since, you know, I can't, I think that was one of my big, biggest fears with my last birth. Like, knowing I was going to have a home birth, like I just kept worrying something was going to pop up to screw it up, you know? And mm -hmm. like, you know, even though I've never had, you know, I've had four pregnancies or four babies. Um, yeah. And like, I, I've never had an issue in pregnancy, you know, I've never had um, any, you know, anything. Yeah. And I still just was like, oh, like just something <laughs> random is going to pop up and I'm going to have to go to the hospital, you know? And yeah. so like for me, knowing that like I would have been devastated if, yeah. you know, something had popped up and I would have had to go to the hospital. And obviously, you know, like when that kind of stuff happens, you just adjust and you deal with it, you know? But like I know right. that that doesn't mean that you're not going to grieve like what you planned or what you envisioned and all of that. So I'm glad that you were able to you know, have things go that go the way that they did, especially in the circumstance where, you know, you had that desire to have a home birth and it just, 
it just wasn't in the cards for you for some, for whatever reason, you know, it's, Yeah. yeah, I'm so glad that I you think, were able to go in and know, you know, what, what you want and then achieve that, you know, yeah, it's but a blessing. then too, like being able to have a home birth in the hospital, <laughs> like Yeah. I, I was like determined that Mm-hmm. like, I think having a home birth isn't just being at home. It's a lot about like the attitude you have about birth Yeah, that's and true. like that. I think for any, you know, woman who is about to have a baby who has like this plan, this, you know, birth plan and like you, you think that everything is going to go the way that it's going to go. And when it doesn't like to be flexible and like you're doing whatever you need to do for your baby to get your baby, because no matter what your hat, your baby's going to be here. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But like taking that, that home birth attitude to the hospital, like you Yep. can have. a low intervention birth at the hospital. And like, I have always been surrounded by home births. I've been to home births. I've assisted in home births, like before I had either of my boys and after, and I've been to hospital births. And like, I think having seen both ends of the spectrum, I like knew that like half the battle of a home birth is the attitude that you have about birth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I could agree with that. Yeah. 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 And I love also that you like brought your home birth atmosphere to the hospital as well with the candles and, you know, the aromatherapy and, you know, all of that. Yeah. Like, cause I don't think like, I don't know if a lot of people know you can do that, you know, Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. like it's not common to see, um, you know, and like people set up in the hospital with that kind of No, stuff. it's totally not. So Yeah. yeah, <laughs> but you you can can do bring it, whatever you know? you want. Yeah, Yeah. you totally can. And kind of give I've, you that intimate feel, you know? Yeah. Well, and birth is so intimate. And I think a lot of times people think of like a birth in the hospital as like so sterile and so bright. And like having read like all those books I read when I was pregnant with both of the boys, one of the things I saw a lot was like um, low light is great for birth, right? When Mm you're hmm in the throes of labor. And if you watch a woman's pupils, like as she gets closer to delivering, her pupils dilate more and more and more. And that's why you're so sensitive to light. Because like think everything in you is opening up. You're, you know, you're opening up to have your baby. Your heart is opening up to accept this baby. Your soul is opening up to become like the person that you're supposed to be. So like having all of this like harshness is really going to make that more difficult. And it's going to lead to more interventions that aren't necessary. And like just being mindful of that and like having a team that's going to be supportive of you, like again, having this baby because women have been having babies and holes in the ground longer than any of us have been thoughts in the universe so Yeah. like it's gonna happen and if we like really can rely on our bodies to do what they're designed to do you know no matter where you are and feel supported in that way like you're gonna have the birth that you're meant to have and it can be so special and so rewarding Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with that. <laughs> Yeah. so did you have anything else you wanted to share or did you want to end on that note? I, th I think I'm good, unless you Yeah. have any other questions. No. Um, I do. You did mention um, a few of the books that you read. Did you have any other resources that you used to prepare for your births?
Um, other than like my giant family who have had all kinds of births, my dad is one of 15. Um, so <laughs> they, my family is very like baby oriented. So when I was pregnant with Micah, I was able to like lean in to them and like hear everybody's stories and advice and tips and tricks and what to expect and like they're the ones who recommended all the books that I read too. So that was really great. And like podcasts and um, there's another book. It's like real food for pregnancy and real food for gestational diabetes. Those were so informative in like helping mm. me feel like I was really nourishing myself and my boys. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we can put that information in the show notes. Um, yeah, and sure. then the last question that I like to ask is if you wanted to give one must have, must know piece of advice to a first time mom, what's something that you'd want her to know going into preparing for her birth? Mm, that no matter how it ends up, everything is going to work out the way that it's supposed to, even if it's not the way that you planned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't always go as planned, but <clears throat> we can learn and grow from those situations. And it doesn't mean, even if we do have a, you know, more traumatic experience, it doesn't mean we can't grow from it and, yeah, you know, have it. And it's, there's two sides to every coin. Like we could focus on just the trauma and then mm -hmm. we will only see the trauma. But if we're able to let that go and like again like let that wash over us like a contraction you can do anything for a minute you can accept this for what it is and just release it and then you'll be able to see all of the rewarding moments of yeah. some situation that was also hard but also so good like mm -hmm. micah's birth was so hard but i got him out of it and i would do it a thousand times just to have him out of it again yeah yeah that's a beautiful beautiful perspective love that. I definitely came with practice. I didn't, I was not born that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on and sharing, you know, your stories and, you know, your, your perspectives and your positivity. It's just really encouraging to, to oh. hear that, you know, even though things didn't quite go as the way you planned, how you were able to just like still have beautiful experiences out of them. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's nice to share. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you were encouraged in some way through this story. As a reminder, please rate and review our podcast and you can connect with us on social media at birth journeys podcast for more information or to share your own story. Please visit birth and fill out the brief questionnaire. See you next time.